Hello, I'm Dr Kat Arney. This podcast is part of a mini-series of interviews with speakers from the 2022 Annual Conference of the Adelphi Genetics Forum, a learned society that aims to promote research and discussion concerning the scientific understanding of human heredity. Formerly known as the Galton Institute, and before that, the Eugenics Education Society, the society has changed its name to the Adelphi Genetics Forum to firmly reject and distance itself from the discredited and damaging ideas of its namesake, Francis Galton, widely viewed as the founder of eugenics. This year's conference, titled Living with the Eugenic Past, brought together expert speakers to grapple with the problem of how best to tackle the subject of eugenics. What are the demands of justice when it comes to the victims of eugenics? How should universities and other institutions involved in eugenics deal responsibly with that involvement? And can present-day biology education and research be improved to help safeguard the future from the mistakes of the past? Dr. Brian Donovan is a senior research scientist at BSCS Science Learning, the oldest science education non-profit organisation in the United States. They have a long history in teaching biology, having been developing biology curricula for more than 50 years, and were responsible for reintroducing evolution into American high school biology textbooks. His talk explored how better understanding of genetics and genomics in schools can help to dismantle white supremacist culture. I started by asking Brian how his interest in biology education intersects with the topic of eugenics. My research program for the last 10 years, roughly, I've been exploring how biology education intentionally or unintentionally reinforces forms of racial and gender prejudice. And so I've done a variety of studies showing that when students learn about, say, human genetic diseases like sickle cell anemia or cystic fibrosis and their prevalence in certain ethnic groups, it can lead students to infer that other racial disparities in society also boil down to genes, and that can be a big problem, obviously. And uh, it's part of the argument that was repeatedly made throughout the 20th century about racial inequality coming out of the eugenics program. So that's one connection. The other intersection is that I also develop instructional materials that help kids understand kind of modern genomics and the complexity of human inheritance. And what we found is through a variety of randomized trials that when kids develop a more complicated understanding of inheritance, it leads to reductions in some forms of racial prejudice as well. So when we first start learning about genetics, often we'll start with things like animal breeding. And this is where the early geneticists, people like Francis Galton started. It's like, okay, if we breed the more fit animals together, we get better animals. Um, maybe we could do that with people. Is this the sort of misunderstanding that you can instill in children, or, or is it also more sophisticated? Um, I would say it's parallel to that. It's not exactly identical. I mean, children, uh, adolescents in the United States do have ideas about human races being like dog breeds. So there is this kind of like breed-like thinking that comes from animal breeding studies. But it really is about people's perceptions of how much difference exists within and between ethnic groups. So people tend to underestimate the amount of variability, genetically speaking, that occurs among people of the same ethnic group. And they tend to overestimate far greater extent the amount of genetic variation that occurs across groups. And so they kind of got the patterns off, right? And so what we try to do is help kids to develop a more accurate understanding of patterns of genetic variation within and between groups. And then we try to help students understand 
the complexity of inheritance. And in that sense, you know, it's like the curriculum is predominantly Mendelian genetics. So kids are typically learning about single gene disorders, variation in a single gene causing this phenotype or that phenotype due to this genotype or that genotype, right? But if you look at human height or you look at really any of the things that people find interesting to talk about, like abilities, they're more or less kind of traits, right? Traits that vary in a continuous manner. And so a single gene can't do a good job of explaining that kind of variability. So we try to help kids understand that, you know, Mendel works over here in these ways, but when you get to like these more complicated traits, Mendel's not a very good explanation. You need many genes interacting with each other. You need them interacting with the environment to arrive at a scientifically plausible explanation for a complex trait. And we find that when kids learn of both of these ideas, like patterns of variability within and between groups, and then they learn about multifactorial explanations for human traits, that that is the secret sauce for reducing some forms of prejudice. It's fairly obvious when we look around the world, we see people who look different. And the more we understand about population genetics, we can measure that in their DNA. We can see variations between different ethnic groups. And it is possible to group people broadly into what you could describe as races or, or ethnicities. So you can see that it's easy for people to think, it's like, oh, well, you know, genetics can discern different races and then infer things on top of that. So how do you and your work help kids to kind of understand and unpack that? Because it is quite a complicated concept to get your head around that scientifically we can define these populations. Right. And what does it mean? Yeah, so, I mean, let's take a, a trait like human skin color, right? So. Most studies find that a lot of ways that humans differ, there tends to be more variation within groups than between groups. Skin color is one of those traits that we see the opposite pattern. There's more variation across ethnic groups than there is within an ethnic group. So what that essentially means is if you were to walk from you know, equatorial Africa to Norway <laughs> and you go up and down mountain ranges and you measure skin reflectance of all the people that you meet, what you're gonna find is that there's this continuous change, right? So any two neighboring populations do not differ categorically in skin color, right? But if you sample people who are indigenous to Norway and you compare their skin colors to people who are indigenous to Sub-Saharan Africa, you will find non-overlapping categorically different skin colors. So, you know, we notice difference and that's okay but what we don't tend to think about is you can't draw a line anywhere on the planet where you can divide people up perfectly into, say, white versus black, right? And so it's these kinds of peculiarities about human variation that we don't often talk about in the biology curriculum. And so what we try to help kids understand is, yes, there is difference, but the variation that we perceive between groups is often off. It's not quite accurate. And we try to help kids develop more biologically accurate views of making sense of difference. I guess there's also a fallacy where when we're talking about genetics that are involved in diseases and things that we may think of as you know, suboptimal or, or harmful, and then you're talking about genetic variations that are just the variation of life, the variation of humanity, the trap of thinking that somehow genetic variations have some moral value or are good or bad mm -hmm. or better or worse. How do we tackle that kind of thinking? I mean, if I had the answer to that, it would be, uh, it would probably help society out a lot. I don't, I don't have a great answer except to say that, you know, we, we do know that 
thinking about the relationship between genes and traits is morally valenced, right? People are more likely to attribute negatively valenced traits to genetics. So there is this moral component to thinking about genetic bases of disparities. And I think if we can take biology instruction and address the scientific basis of human variability and its causes by removing the moral component in the classroom and just getting some fundamentals correct about how and why humans differ, then it allows for a conversation about things that have happened in the past and how they've been morally valenced. And that could actually be more of an interdisciplinary learning that occurs with, say, history or, or social studies teachers as well. And it can help students to kind of decipher and figure out, like, well, why is it that we tend to see these moral arguments about the inferiority of one race or the superiority of one race over and over and over again, like what was going on there socially, when biologically we can now understand and see that there are some flawed assumptions that those arguments were based on. We now do have a much more sophisticated understanding of human genetics and human variation, yet there are still persistent ideas of racism. Where are people and where are children getting these ideas from? Well, I mean, they bubble up from many different places. So, you know, prejudice ideas are, they're multifactorial traits themselves, right? So you acquire them like a fish in water from the culture that you grow up in. And uh, some of it can come through science journalism sometimes. Some of it can come through the way that we are teaching students biology, which is what my research focuses on. Uh, some of it comes from ideas you, you inherit, quote unquote, from family and friends, not genetically, but culturally, right? And so there's no one source where people develop these ideas. But I think it's important to point out that the one place where really the world population is formally taught genetics is in the classroom. And so I really do think that biology educators should have something to say about this because it's a pernicious problem that's affected us as humans, especially over the last 120 years in lots of negative ways. Your talk today is really focusing on how better genetic literacy, better genetic literacy in the classroom can combat white supremacy. Are you seeing this becoming an increasing problem, particularly in the States? And where are these ideas permeating? How are they coming through in the culture? There's a lot of research that suggests that misinformation about race and genetics is perpetuated online by white supremacist communities. They're very efficient and systematic in how they promote those ideas. Teenagers in the United States are online quite often, upwards of three quarters of high school kids are online all the time. I have a son, he's, he's online on YouTube all the time. And it's very easy for kids to become exposed to white supremacist propaganda online, we think. And that, I would say, is probably the main area where a lot of misinformation about genetics and race is currently coming from today. The topic of today's conference is tackling the eugenic past. Do you think eugenics is really in the past? I think people debate that. I think the legacy of eugenics is still present in the way that people think about race in particular and ethnic difference. I don't think those ideas have left our culture. And I do think that you know there are many people who would argue that modern genomics research could potentially fall back into that trap. Not, you know, not the old eugenics. People call it the new eugenics now. So I, I think it's debatable about whether or not scientifically it's still a problem. But I would say 
culturally, there's still a legacy of eugenics and how we think about gender and disability and stuff like that. If there's a, a biology teacher, or a science teacher listening to this, what sorts of things should they be looking out for, for guarding for or thinking about when they are teaching the topic of human genetics? Depending on how we teach biology and what we teach students, it can either increase or decrease some cognitive forms of racial prejudice. And so when biology education unintentionally leads students to believe that racial groups are fundamentally different groups and that everything boils down to variation in a single gene, then that can promote prejudice. But when we help students understand the complexity of inheritance um, and we do a better job at helping students understand the amount of genetic variation that exists within and between racial groups, it can actually decrease prejudice. Race is a powerful concept. And so you need to be careful when race comes up in the curriculum to think about how you're discussing it and what you're talking about. Because kids come into the classroom and they're thinking about race, they're thinking about ethnic difference, and they, they want to make sense of these questions about human difference. And so when it comes up in the biology curriculum, kids are going to take whatever you say and run with it. So we need to be really careful about presenting kids with accurate complex kind of ideas about inheritance and race. And there's no simple answers here. There's no silver bullet. Teachers need to address the way that they're teaching in fundamentally different ways if they want to have a chance of reducing prejudice in society. We're not going to do it simply by continuing to teach genetics in the way that we're currently doing it. Thanks to Brian Donovan. You can find out more about the Adelphi Genetics Forum, including their grants, awards and publications, at adelphigenetics.org. You can check out the rest of this series on the Genetics Unzipped podcast feed. Just search for Genetics Unzipped on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This series was produced by the team at First Create the Media. That's Kat Arney, Sally LePage and Emma Werner, with help from Ed Prosser and Frankie Pike. Our music is Drops of H2O by Jay Lang, licensed under Creative Commons. Thanks for listening and goodbye.